Sing back the symbols. Sing back the symbols. You must sing back the symbols. The first one being your part. You are going to need protection on your journey, but your four angels will guard you and protect you. And I also will help you. Hey guys, and welcome back to Young to Live By. Today we're going to be finishing up our three-part series on the red shoes, or in other words, on addiction and how we can overcome addiction and what addiction means on these psychodynamic and mythological levels. And if you've seen our first two videos, then you know that we've been describing addiction through the myth primarily of the red shoes. And of course, the most popular version of that has been Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Red Shoes. And we've covered a more recent version of it depicted in Kate Bush's music video called The Red Shoes, once again. And at the beginning of the first lecture, I remember saying within these videos, within the myths, within the stories, there is not only the understanding of addiction, but also a promise potentially, of how we can get out of it. Because it's not just a case of, well, I understand that in an addicted state, I have red shoes on my feet and that they are out of control. They're controlling themselves and you're not aware of it and you're taken in by the, by the enrapturing bliss of what you think is a euphoric, you know, this is it experience. Really, there has to be something else to help you to take them off. And that's exactly what we're going to be covering today. So we're going to be using another one of Kate Bush's videos called Lily this time, which is a song that comes after The Red Shoes on her album, The Red Shoes. And it covers that exactly. It leads immediately on from the previous video, as you saw in that little cut at the beginning. And it explains how you can use the Jungian self and indeed the positive side of the animus, or indeed the anima if you are a, a man, in order to overcome addiction. So hopefully this video and this series of videos itself will help you understand uh, not just how addiction works and the psychodynamics of it, but maybe how we can get rid of it and how we can be happier, healthier, more balanced individuals. The scene is set for the next stage of the journey, essentially. And it's probably useful, I think, to obviously focus on the white chair because of the character who's about to sit in the white chair. And there are four points of light on the floor surrounding the chair. The chair is central to them. And I think at this point, maybe we should introduce the next character. I ask a super quick question on the number four, yes. and you can, you can debunk this myth immediately. But yes. four, I associate with quaternity, which is the self. Yes. Is, that, is that an incredibly crude, short of hand thing no. to do? No, I don't think it is, because it's that, that suggestion, isn't it, of, of wholeness. And the, mm. the chair is at the center of the quaternity in this, this particular image, the way that the scene has been set. So I don't think that's by accident. I think that's significant. And as the video plays, it'll probably become more obvious too that, uh, that that's the case. Yeah. And then we have this lady appearing, this old lady appearing in uh, the white dress, sitting on the, the white chair uh, in a center stage, literally the, the, the center of the shot. And the, uh, she's the character, Lily, in the video, but she's also someone that Kate Bush knew uh, in real life and had a close connection with uh, in the sort of mid-90s. And she was a, a spiritual healer and believed in something called mental colour uh, healing as well. Uh, and so she's obviously 
someone who was very significant to Kate Bush in her own life and she's probably probably been selected by her for those reasons. I mean, she describes her as being um, someone who was a kind of a strange mix of intelligence, intuition and kindness, to quote Kate, Kate Bush herself. And they're all qualities that I think you could say are associated with the, the wise old woman, if you like, who in this situation is appearing as a, a in Jungian terms as a symbol of the self mm. so she's obviously been picked for those reasons mm. come here child so we could just stop for a moment because it, it, it might be important to to simply say here that because uh, we discussed the the, the Hans Christian uh, Anderson uh, version of the red shoes last time mm -hmm. And we had, similarly, we had a, an old lady in that too. Hmm. We had a child and an old lady, as it happens. Oh, yeah, I was asking about that, wasn't I? I said, uh, there's no old lady yeah. in the video. And you were like, wait a minute, in the next video, there yes, is. But, yes, that's right. And in that story, we're looking at negative aspects of the self, both for the child and for the old lady. So you see a child that... Um, and, and the other thing to say is that they're both instinct injured, which is why they're negative aspects of the self as opposed to positive ones. Because the child is enamored with the shoes. She doesn't see the danger. She has a, a romantic relationship almost with the shoes. And the old lady doesn't see the enchantment take place between the child and the old soldier uh, and the um the crippled shoemaker who essentially are one of the same thing anyway so you kind of move from from a situation we've got negative aspects of the self uh, exemplified and then the difference here in the Kate Bush video is that you've got a very positive image of the self appearing so just just a just an important difference I think between the two things to the the two stories shall we say You see uh, Kate Bush entering and, and immediately assuming a kind of childlike relationship to the older woman, the fact that she's she sat on the floor at her feet, uh, looking up to her, looking up to her, presumably for her for her counsel, for her advice, for, for her wisdom. And you can see the, the left hand of the, the negative animus figure on the back of the chair. So at this point, he's still got some kind of a, a grip, some kind of a, a role to play uh, in what's happening here. You are under the spell of the red shoes, but you are not helpless. I'm scared, Lily. So this idea that you're under the spell of the red shoes, like I say, the, the, the trickster figure still got his hand on the back of the chair. So at, at this point, you know, you're in a kind of a... Um, psychologically speaking a kind of a, a a crossover phase where she's she's still under the spell of the animus but she's invoking the help of the self if you like as exemplified by this this lily character and um 
the instruction here is that you're not helpless. It's, it's I guess, for anyone, uh, particularly a woman who feels that she's under the spell of the negative animus, for example, that she's she's got nowhere to go, that she's helpless, that she can't do anything to literally to loosen the grip of that. Mm. So, if again, if we just let it play a little bit more and we can see what unfolds. There is no need for you to be scared. Can the spell be broken? Of course it can. You must sing back the symbols. The first one being your part. You are going to need protection on your journey, but your four angels will guard you and protect you. Your four angels will guard you and protect yes. you? Yeah, that, that's right. So it's a kind of invocation, if you like, of the positive animus and the connection with the positive animus and probably in, in very simple psychological terms, the creation of a counter complex. I mean, we were talking about the idea of counter complexes yesterday, James, weren't we mm. after, the, after we did the podcast? And in, again, in a woman's life, this is incredibly important in loosening the grip of the negative animus when it takes hold. I also will help you. O thou who givest sustenance to the universe, from whom all things proceed, to whom all things return, unveil to us the face of the true spiritual sun, hidden by a disk of golden light that we may know the truth and do our whole duty as we journey to thy sacred feet. You stop there and you can see already the, the grip is loosened mm. by this negative animus figure and he starts to be pulled back into the unconscious and then they, uh, the Kate Bush character and the Lily character are off they, there's that movement forward, that, that conveyance, the chair moves, suddenly it becomes a carriage and form of transport. Sorry, Steve. So there was a circumambulation there was shot as well, as well which yes. and technically is a dolly shot, which would, it would have been a dolly shot yeah. in, in those days, but she's talking about things proceeding from and returning to yes. everything, and then have the circle then, yeah. which is placed uh, within the four dots, yeah. uh, and the chair makes the quintessential or fifth position mm. as well which will be significant mm. so there's an awful lot going on in the and uh, the, the negative animus is is uh, in a negative role at times and sometimes he's in a positive role mm. and throughout the the full video he, he flits doesn't he and, yes, and he this does. is part of the problem of the relationship to it yeah. you never know yeah. what mode it's in uh, which is mm. what makes it dangerous but at mm. the same time you have to rely on it yes no, no, no. I, I think I think that's very important. I think because too, again, in psychological terms, you often get something which is positive dressed up in something that's negative. And when he says uh, about um, singing back the symbols, which is obviously um, as in all good fairy tales, uh, part of the the solution to this situation. Um, nonetheless because of the way that it's said you know it, it like steve says is that ambivalence about it but also i think it's important even with something that appears negative 
to take notice of it because there may be something positive in there dressed up in some other way so for example when he says uh, she tricked you you know mm -hmm. referring to the miranda richardson character the alter ego character that you can see in the previous video running off back into the unconscious and waving the symbols um that is something to heed that is something to take notice of rather than to just be well that's negative animus I need to push it away. I must. I must reject it. I must reject everything about it because it's so unpleasant and 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 so disturbing. I think you have to see if there's a, you know, um, a more positive message concealed in something which has been dressed up in a very unpleasant way, and that that can be a, you know, that can be anything. That can be any kind of um, negative self talk, talk or, you know, if you catch yourself doing that kind of thing in in everyday life, that that's the kind of mindset you need to have in dealing with it um, and literally of, of taking it apart, of deconstructing it and, and freeing the energy that, that's tied up in yeah, that can, back into can, everyday can I just life. just offer something yes, at this point? Sorry, but I think it's a really good point because um, the negative self-talk is something that a CBT therapist would think that they were doing, mm. but this is a transcendent rationality. It's not a reductive, no. one-sided if you like, uh, overamp thinking rationality. This is something which is transcendent in the sense that it's in connection with instinct. And so it gets beyond the polarity that you might get between, is this a good way of thinking, a bad way of thinking, mm. and that sort of uh, mm. oscillation you get with CBT. Yes. CBT could not penetrate this deeply uh, and could not resonate with a woman internally at the level of her instincts. And therefore what she should do properly because that's mm. what an instinct does isn't it uh, absolutely it tells you how to behave correctly yes i mean we, we talked about um women who run with the wolves yesterday mm. and yeah. uh clarissa pinkola estes who who uh, wrote the book and um, one of the comments she makes in it is that um the the most important thing for example that a mother can do for her, her daughter is to give her the um, ability to believe um, in the veracity of her own intuition. And by that, it's a semantic problem in part, I guess. It doesn't just mean intuition as in, um, in typological terms. It means intuition as in your instinct in a given situation. So if something doesn't instinctively feel right, you should have yeah. a reaction to that if your instincts are intact. Yeah, that's a really good point, I think, to get away from typology and the semantics that it can induce in people. Yeah. Because it's um, intuition in a sense, you could also interpret as being perception broadly. Mm -hmm. Yes. But it's it's an apperception, it's it an is. internal uh, perception of yeah. a connection that you should have had uh, with your instincts yes. and can return to. Yes. And that's completely different from typological reductionism. It is. In the same way that this is completely different. <clears throat> from a CBT kind of reductionism mm. as well. Mm. This is why these myths are so powerful and so healing. I mean, that, that comment, I feel as if life has blown a great big hole in me. I mean, I guess a lot of people could identify with that 
you know, just in simple terms. Um, but the point is, I guess, here is that despite that, despite the fear, she's on the journey. She's made that connection. She's opened up that channel to the self. Uh, and it's a healing connection. Mm. So no matter, you know, how big the hole is that's been blown in you, um, no matter how bad the addiction has been that, that's got a grip of you, there is a way forward. And I, and I think, as Steve mentioned earlier, that idea that the chair becoming a, a carriage, a vehicle moving forward is in and of itself important because it suggests progress beyond a, a you know, particular situation that would otherwise have been destructive. It's at the centre of the four. So it's quintessential yes. and transcendence yes. and a vehicle. Yes. So there's lots of layers uh, there is. and there's lots of cultures you could look at mm -hmm. um, to see how that is, is utilised. Yeah. The idea of a yana, a vehicle, is, uh, is, is central mm. to Hinduism, for example. Mm. Yeah, it, it makes sense as well if the self is the genomic self. Because it's, as you were saying, Pauline, it doesn't matter how big the hole that's blown in you, metaphorically yes. speaking. It's like, yes. yeah, because at, at the genetic level, you'll always remain intact. Even down at the stem yes. cells, you can destroy as many as you want, but you're still there. Yes, that makes of course a lot of you sense. Are. Yes, it does. It does indeed. And I think it gives, um, it, it gives a, a lot of hope, too, that people can rebuild themselves. They can reform. It doesn't matter how, how bad the injury. I mean, it may take a little bit longer um but nonetheless the capacity for healing is there and i think that's a, a really important takeaway and she said child you must protect yourself you can protect yourself i'll show you how with fire stop around I'm enjoying there. that just as well. yeah I'm sorry James do, do you want to let it run no no, no 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 carry on I was just I was enjoying it yeah I mean we've got this sort of uh, appeal again to the self for, for reassurance and and um um comments such as you know I feel like I'm walking the veil of darkness um which I suspect is probably um uh, a Christian metaphor um mm -hmm. But again, it's something that probably we can all resonate with. Um, and I guess any psychological journey is like that. You do feel as if you, you know, it's, it's unfamiliar territory, isn't it? Um, moving through the unconscious. And so there has to be some kind of guide, some kind of reference, some kind of inner authority to appeal to. And again, we've, we've got the Lily character here who's mm. performing that function. Well, there's also there's an embrace here as well isn't there where in the last yes. one there was the alter ego yes. and the ego embraced each other but it's like yes. the the facial expression on both of them is completely different to last time this like beforehand it was like i'll help you from kate bush yes. now it's like i need your help it's kind of a, yes. a bit of an opposite shift there 
the, the, there is indeed and um, I think the fact that we've got this sort of older lady you know with the the white hair and the white suit and uh, you know she's got you could see early in the earlier shots are like a walking stick on the back of the chair and so it, it, it suggests age but but not frailty there's 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 something still there's a lot of strength a lot of knowing a lot of experience yeah. summed up in that character yeah. and so the the appeal from the Kate Bush character is is to that is to those those qualities yeah is it the accumulation of experience yes. that uh, mm. the elderly should have they don't always no. because sometimes a young fool becomes an old fool yeah but ideally older people have experience to pass on mm. um, and here you can see that with with the embrace as you you rightly point out James it is yeah. a different kind of embrace yes before she she moves on yeah Got to see. Um, well, obviously, you see the the angels coming into play, um, but also you'll see that the the Lily character uh, circumscribes a ring of fire on the floor, which with a, a walking stick, um, and uh, creates a kind of a, a safe place, a safe area. And, and here we have the fire of transformation rather than the fire of cremation and annihilation that we mm. saw in the previous video. Yeah, the walking stick is a wand. Yes, it in is. Effect. It has so, almost a magical. Yeah, so it, it's it's a way of uh, delivering the energy from the self. Yes. So it's not just supporting a frail old woman. It's actually yes. the way she supports herself on the ground. It's the earthing quality mm. of the self and the capacity to transmute energy from within the self to the environment yeah. symbolically. <laughs> This reminded me of the um, the stance of like pulling the sword from the stone, something like that. Yes, yes. Well, we you know with respect to the animus um, and a, a woman's unconscious, as we've said before, is characterised by logos. So, the you know the upheld sword, uh, I would imagine, is connected to the idea of intellect uh, yeah. and the ability to to be able to to think well and to discriminate and so on. So, and this is just one of the, the four elements of the animus as, as portrayed here. Mm. It is on my left side with this kind of, well, a sphere is basically a, a three-dimensional circle. So we've probably got connections there to the, you know, the idea of the self um, and, and the totality, the, the wholeness of the self but also silver as well, um, because that's uh, silver is in alchemical terms, one of the base metals, um, part of the, uh, the transformative process. So, and also it's, it's connected in philosophical terms with, with the moon uh, and with femininity and female intuition and all of those kinds of things. So you've probably got a lot of things summed up there. In, in that particular image. Mm -hmm. 
like a deep, like a deep brrr there as well. A kind of it's almost like a, an earthy sound, isn't it? Instinctive. Instinctive sound. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a little yeah. demon face, isn't it? It is. Yeah, absolutely. So again, it's like it's like burning off the dross, burning off the demons, mm. uh, those things that would steal your energy. Um, you know, and we we we. We've discussed that before in previous podcasts about the, the animus appearing as some kind of a demon. Mm. It's also the actual appearance of it. It's very close to the uh, one from the 1957 film, mm -hmm. Night of the yes, Demons. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. She uses something from, doesn't she, in the Hounds of Love video, which we've looked at before. Mm. Yes. So this is obviously an exposition of her personal myth as yeah. well. We've got this kind of water effect again, haven't we? That we had in the previous video, with which is obviously just the use of cloth, but but the suggestion is of moving through water. So again, probably a link with the unconscious there, and moving through the unconscious with these, you know, four pillars of the animus almost surrounding her and protecting her. <laughs> spell has been broken and um, the idea of going back to the idea of singing back the symbols for a woman essentially is is singing back your joy it's the idea of getting back to those things that give your life meaning and holding out for those things that really give your life meaning as opposed to any kind of substitution for that. Yeah, and it's the saying, um, obviously singing back the symbols, you were saying earlier that it comes from the negative animus, but in that particular case, the negative animus wouldn't be acting negatively. So, so it it's kind of becomes a point where you can't reduce it down to one thing. It becomes its own system after, after a mm -hmm. while. It's like he's playing his role. We call it negative. He's just playing his particular biological role. Yes, absolutely. And like I said before, depends what you mean by negative, doesn't it? Because something uh, appears unpalatable and you feel you want to push it away doesn't necessarily mean you should. You should at least try and extract from it something of value, something of meaning before you, you, you decide to bin it all together. So, I mean, it might be useful at this point to, to come on to the idea a little bit of, uh, of complexes. And, and how they operate, you think, Steve? Or if you wish, a, I think we should do a, a full a separate podcast. podcast. No, but we could, yeah. you, could, you could discuss them, look, yeah. yeah, by all means. Yeah, because yeah, we've gone over them a little bit over the uh, shadow video. So if people have seen the, the video mm -hmm. on integrating the shadow, which I'll link yeah. in, the, in the description down below, then uh, there should be enough of a primer, I guess, to get us going. 
Yeah, well, like I say, the, you know, if, if a complex really is just a, a group of ideas that's held together by an emotional tone, then it's worth looking at those ideas. It's worth looking at, if I'm obviously speaking now as a woman, um, and the relationship of her woman to her, her animus, which is uh, the bridge to her ideas. And it's looking at the kind of fictions, if you like, that we construct for ourselves as women and how we might deconstruct them. And like I say, release that energy back, release that libido back into our lives and turn it into something meaningful and something productive. Hmm. But if we just see the face of the demon or we just see the tricksterish animus and, and we want to, to push it away, we don't want to listen to it, we don't think it's got anything of value, then that's going to be very difficult to do. So there has to be, I guess, because it is a journey, there has to be some, and it is a heroic thing to do, to examine yourself in that way. Uh, I think you have to have some courage and not be afraid to do it. Mm. In the same way that Kate Bush, is, Bush expresses her fear and her uncertainty and, and so on. I think you have to assume that, that there will be elements of that in you as you go along and you uncover things but you have to have the courage to do it just as if we were to go back to the idea of, of blue bluebeard he doesn't want you to become conscious he doesn't want you to you know put the key in the door and open it and look at what's really there look at the you know the the problems for example that you you might have in your life that people do put things away and close the door on them so it's having the courage to 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 not be put off by that and to say i'm going i'm going to look anyway and to not give in to the threat that well if you look you'll die that that that's that's what will naturally ensue if you if you choose to look it's not going to be very pleasant and you're going to be threatened with death anyway so yeah. you, you best not need to start in the first place yeah, it's a common fear isn't it really it's that, a very common that, uh, fear anyone gets when they, they access the the dark mm -hmm. side really yes uh, and not just the shadow but it, it, any kind of really strong complex which yeah. is creating inertia around the the ego will have that that fear mm. um primary ones i'll call them primary complexes which include obviously the parents if there's been a wound on, on a parental uh, complex that will have the same characteristics <clears throat> as the negative animus or the negative anima would without the, the parental conflict uh, complexes being uh, constellated so sometimes you, you get a conflation where there will be say the animus and the father complex working together mm. um which kind of squares the effect rather than merely doubles it it really mm. does amplify mm. it and it'll be the same for a man too if it's the anima that's involved as well as the mother complex uh, because it is a soul image and it is a relating factor so if if the wound is there it will affect everything uh, and that will leach out and it will affect every social relationship that that person has, not just on the inside. So, yeah, it's an important point, Paul. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. And I think also, too, though, in, in any good story or fairy tale, the solution is, is always embedded in it mm. if you look for it. And I think this is why a lot of modern myths fail. Mm. Because, 
you know, you might, as Steve was saying uh, yesterday on, on the podcast about creativity, mm. uh, you, have, you have a cast of thousands, you have all these so-called archetypal figures, but you have no real through line, you have no real story, and therefore you don't have a, any real solutions to things either, they're no. kind of incomplete, and you yeah, see that are. a lot, don't they you, are. modern myths? They are. It's one, it's one of the problems with dreams, the dreams can be like that, and one of the paradoxes is that they're both important and unimportant. Important in the sense that if you catch the moments with a dream, you can you can get a lot from it. But if you miss it, there will be more. Um, this is the journey work of dreams which we can come to. Uh, but there's a, another correlation, and that's soap operas, yes. which very rarely uh, solve anything. They're just a waveform that, that they go on in the background like the kind of dream that doesn't resolve a damn thing, as Pauline was saying, well, soap mm. operas are like that. And if, if you want to really move on, you have to get to grips in a dialectical sense with the psyche and what it wants from you. And if you do that, it will interact back. Then you'll start to see change. And that, of course, means that you're going to feel a little bit of pain. Yes. Um, because the old way of remaining in balance will be displaced. Um, and, and whilst you're seeking a new homeostasis, you have to come to terms with an unfamiliarity with yourself because the future you is different to the you that is today mm. and the you that you've been in the past. Uh, and then guiding your way through all of that is the role for a woman of the animus and for a man for, uh, for the anima. Yeah. Yeah. You have to expect some fight back from these things. Yeah. Not off. <laughs> that, that, that's yeah. not that's not uncommon no. and I don't think you should be put off by that I think a lot of people are they think well I, yeah. I believe that they believe that they've put everything in place to make a change and that therefore it should be a straightforward transition but often it isn't there's often a lot of pulling and tugging that goes on on the inside before you find that new homeostasis yeah. mm. So in something like this, um, just, just yes. quickly on, on how the self might come into this, just as, as yes. an example, um, it's quite a hopeful thing. So you've got that negative self-talk you were talking about earlier. And there's this yes. voice in, in, in your head and it's saying like, you know, you are, you are nothing, you, you, deserve a, yes. a, a, you deserve X, yes. Y, Z, things aren't going yes. very well. Um, at the bottom of it, at least for me mm. and the people who mm. I've spoken to, there is an yes. underlying sense of, and not typological, you're right, just intuition. Mm that that's yes, not think, right yeah. it's not you yes. just that little glimmering light which most of the time you don't see but it comes up when mm -hmm. you most sort of need it or when someone else yeah. comes along is that the self yeah. essentially going like this is your true self this is the real voice that's calling you back not the nonsense negative self-talk that's coming through well it's a difficult one isn't it because uh, it's semantics again i think gets yeah I, I, it's nuanced as well yes, it's, it is. It, it's deeply nuanced a lot of the perceptions that the ego has when it's going through uh, this, this, uh, this process are mythic in the sense that it creates a fantasy about what it's experiencing. The fantasy can be a negative one and, and say, for example, that uh, the inner voice, uh, I'll say of the anima, uh, the inner negative voice of, of the anima is an actual inner woman. You know, and, and there's plenty of people who will tell you that that's the case. And then, as you rightly say, there's this other voice in the background or other feeling, other vague quality which suggests that it's not the case that you're not identifiable with that negative destructive voice but for some people it, it this negative voice will kill them mm. it will lead them to suicide mm. 
uh, it will lead them into a long-term slow death through substance abuse or, or um, being in a continuous state of stress. So your physiology goes into a catabolic decline and eventually into the entropy of death. So yes, it can be a death demon. Um, but remember, and this is so important and it's difficult to get to, much of this is an internal projection from the genome towards the ego and that internal projection then appears in the form of a symbol or of a character which articulates now if we then receive that symbol and we reify it and turn it into an autonomous identity so we believe there is a real inner witch if you like who is trying to destroy us mm. we are then confirming and creating that internal suggestion and that is extremely dangerous because we can suddenly then live in, in uh, an inner world which is populated by demons that are partly our own creation. And, and some of this is ingested. I'll use the expression mm -hmm. ingested because I think it's, it's uh, more definite than introjection. Ingested from the environment. Ingestion as in going into your metabolism, into your physiology. And so the darker or more destructive side of the potential within the genome appears then as the negative side of the self. So projections don't just go out from the psyche into the environment. They operate internally and they come from the background of the mind. And another nuanced thing which, which I would offer for people to reflect upon here is that the boundary between what we call the personal unconscious and the collective unconscious is not that certain. Uh, it's something that we can infer and also suggest to ourselves in terms of how we interpret what comes up from it. So we can say, oh, that's a complex, therefore it's in the personal unconscious. And that's an archetype, therefore it's in the collective unconscious. All that you can know for sure is that you're experiencing something that comes from outside of ego consciousness. Yeah. It's exact psychographical, in other words, like the geographical, it's exact psychographical location will be uncertain. And you can't really be sure what it is that you're experiencing. But what you can be fairly sure of is that you are receiving a projection of something from outside of the ego towards the ego that appears in a symbolic form. Because symbols carry a very broad bandwidth of information, massive. Um, they're they're, they're pre-linguistic, obviously, um, and they, they relate back to a very early period in evolutionary history when impressions based on instinct and on survival would have mm. appeared in consciousness as the image of a whole situation, which then mm. over time, over repeated generations as the human species evolved and, and were able to develop language and therefore culture, then these impressions become externalized, but then feed back. So we have to remember, as Jung pointed out, that there is an evolutionary psyche and the, the older forms of communication are still real. But where is the boundary between the personal and the collective unconscious? And are we really seeing an archetype or is it a complex? Is it an ego fiction? Um, and this is why, one of the reasons anyway, I prefer to focus on instincts because they're very, very clear. Very, very clear, easy to understand, easy to observe in people, easy to observe in, mm. in animals. And also why what Jung mm. called, following Durkheim and uh, Claude Levy-Bruhl, a representation collective you know collective representations these things are out there in the environment and they will be internalized and then they will meet what is already in the unconscious uh, and they will then produce an autonomous element but is that in the collective psyche or is it really in the basements of your personal unconscious 
where there will be an overlap of things that are perhaps so deep that they're very, very close to instinct and very, very close to the genome. So we, we can't be too trite about this, about what you're actually experiencing, because all you do then is create another box which you can contain yourself in. By yourself, I mean your own reflexive understanding. Um, but myths, yeah, definitely are very, very powerful because there is this tendency for the unconscious broadly to create narratives and to create images. Um, and sometimes the only useful way that we can communicate with these is to project them into culture and then resonate with them internally and externally and come to some kind of understanding of what they are. But they appear to have autonomy because they're outside of the ego's control. And I think that's why we then, to go back to what you say, have this apperception of more than one apparent voice or symbol at work, one perhaps destructive and one deeper. And if you make the wrong choice, and now we're, we're in the, 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 uh, the territory of fairy tales and myths here, if you make the wrong choice, you will pay for that wrong choice. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the culture can guide us on this. The culture has what Richard Dawkins called memes, you know, which are basically ideas that replicate, not, not the meme as it's understood currently with respect to the internet, mm. but it's a kind of informational carrying system which is stored culturally uh, and is inherited, if you like, culturally and can evolve culturally. And when you think about it, because we are biopsychosocial entities and we exist simultaneously at all these different levels, there's a constant exchange of energy and information so cultural storage of, of information symbolically as a, a collective representation, yes, is an archetype expressed as a cultural complex, if you like, um, that we can resonate with. So be very, very careful about how you define things because you can box yourself in literally mm. and then miss the empiricism of what you're actually experiencing. Well, well, you can, to come back to instincts for a mm -hmm. moment, because yeah. as you say, it's a very simple way yes. of understanding things, yeah. is to think about what happens either to people or to animals when instincts aren't able to be expressed in a healthy way. Yeah. And if you cage yeah. a wild animal, yeah. for example, it yeah. doesn't take long for it to emit distressing behaviors yes. that suggests that, that that animal should yeah. not be living in those conditions yeah. Yeah. so i think wherever you see instincts frustrated you it's probably the best place to go actually absolutely to understand them. maternal deprivation and so many people that james you and i know through various sources have suffered from a, from a wound <clears throat> uh with respect to early bonding with the mother for mm -hmm. whatever reason and you know that is an instinctive issue it's on an instinctive template it's not like the child just popped into existence out of nowhere in a literal sense mm. and is an empty vessel that they're born with instincts with expectations and with patterns of behavior that are supposed to be in sync with impressions and patterns of behavior that they receive in order to survive the archetype then becomes a kind of collective fantasy if you like a myth about the way that that instinctive process should unfold mm. You know, and this is why the archetype in itself, according to Jung, you cannot experience, you can only experience the image, but the image in and of itself reflects an expectation. You know, so there's a biological expectation and then there's a cultural expectation and then there's the instinct. Throw all of them together and then you guess your typical myth or your typical uh, higher order fantasy film, uh, which, which is trying to show the hero's journey and so on. All of these things are based on instincts, all of them. And if there's an injury to, in, to instinct, there's an injury to everything. Mm. 
and it's at that level really ultimately the the, the, the cure needs to be made uh, but you can use narratives uh, as we were discussing yesterday in the, in the creativity you can use narratives you can use myths you can use imagery you can use <clears throat> all of these techniques to access the genome and yes you really can do that because you you can affect gene expression by using imagery by using yes. creative products by using trans states in various forms it's entirely possible to do this yes well i i asked the the initial question about the other the little voice of the self because it's the the hopeful aspect of it because as you're saying if you take the myth in the way it's described in those two videos she's obviously not in a good place or she thinks she's in a good place she has her red yes. shoes on then she's not yeah. in a very good place and then the negative anima says sing back the symbols the fact that she asks for help you know and then then you move in, into the lily video and she mm. gets the help that she needs it's at that mm. level which i'm um i want to move from myth into reality just for a second and be mm. like and I don't like to use the word hopeless, but you, you, you know what I mean? It's not as if the self itself is naturally going to swoop in and save you. It's, mm -hmm. it's something else that's going to come in, which is why you can't necessarily live within the myth. Because otherwise someone might be like, oh, okay, I'll get myself to a point with an addiction. And then naturally mm -hmm. something will swoop in and save me, right? Because mm -hmm. as, as you were saying, Steve, it's like, uh, depending on which voice you listen to, et cetera, et cetera, you're dealing with actual biological reality here where we have, you yeah. know, people no, do... They, they don't, sometimes things don't end in the nicest way you know yeah. so how would one go about using say that particular myth to transition from the first video to the second video if you get what i mean from some from the state of euphoria and then not very happy at all into a state of actually those four angels can help me some of which is you know the 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 logos and the intelligence and whatever the equivalent is for the, for the more masculinized psyche how would one make that shift using those particular myths well, I, I guess there's a sweet spot for everyone, isn't there? With, with re regards to their own health and their own homeostasis. Um, as I think we've said before, anything which, which is too an extreme is not good. Even too much creation is not good. Um, so it's finding that balance point for yourself, both in an inner and an outer sense. Um, it, it has to be both. I mean, just, just to come back for, to instincts for a moment, um, if you, using the, the caged animal analogy, a lot of people who are instinct injured behave as if they're a caged animal themselves. So you, you open the cage for them to let them out and they just sit there. Yeah. Because they're, they're so conditioned to being in that particular situation that they don't know what freedom means for them anymore. And, and then there's the fear, obviously, about yeah, leaving the cage. It's got a lot of um, relevance at the moment because this global lockdown yes. is going to have a hell of an effect on, on some people. Um, they're they're going to feel like caged animals. And you can only suppress yes. the cork for so long before mm. those stresses emerge. Yeah. But just, just reflect on this. All of those mm. stresses are instinctive. Mm. All of them. Mm. You'll all have... The, the, you know, everyone's going to have access to fantasy to, to, to relieve the stress through the media they, they, they can put on youtube they can put on netflix or whatever and but that will work uh, that, will, that will break down after a while and it will hit the extroverts hardest first it will. and it'll hit extroverted intuitive types hardest first yes uh, and i i don't mean this any kind of typological reductionism or the the the, the passing on of a hex or anything like that but the type that i would predict the most likely to suffer first will be the enfp 
Uh, the extroverted intuition dominant with the introverted feeling mix is uh, are the people who are, are going to suffer the most from the idea of being trapped and incarcerated. Mm. Uh, and when they can't satisfy themselves through fantasy, through a media, uh, then that's going to be really, really explosive for them. Uh, obviously, people who are extremely introverted with sensing dominant are probably going to be able to cope with it better than anyone because they're already on the interior. Uh, but even they will get affected eventually because at an instinctive level, we're not meant to remain in the cave. Even you know, cave men and yes. women didn't want to stay in the cave. The cave was a refuge, but all their resources were outside of the cave. They had to be hunters and gatherers. Yeah. The, the, the cave was a place of retreat uh, and, of, and of security, but it wasn't where they wanted or needed to be for health. And this is going to have a serious effect. It'll be interesting, I guess, to, to see uh, what happens to the creative industries through this. Mm. What happens to Netflix? What happens to Hollywood? Mm. What happens to the collective psyche? We shall see. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the to, to bring instinct into those into that typology just for a second, because that might be interesting. The mm. the different drives in typology, they're not necessarily instincts in and of themselves are they or are they they're, they're um, propelled by instinct if, if you think Sorry. that your, your personality type is just basically the manifestation of consciousness it's your conscious attitude yes of course the mirror of that to some extent reflects the unconscious but it doesn't reflect the deep unconscious it's rather like the, the immediate shadow of your ego so it's the delivery system for instinct, it's the delivery system for archetypes. It's the delivery system that, that you meet yeah. with people. So it's relatively superficial. But the deeper you get into the psyche, the less differentiated type is. And then there comes a point when it's just irrelevant, completely irrelevant, mm. because yeah. you're dealing with things which are so fundamental. Yeah. Um, if people, such as resources. Such as resources, now. yeah. I mean, if, if, you get people, resources. if you get people fighting in, a, in a, a mall or a supermarket over food, you know, it's got nothing to do if you're an intuitive or a sensing type. It's, it's far too fundamental it for is, that. Yeah. It, it's only when things are settled that these things will then differentiate out and have any kind of meaning. Obviously, therefore, in an everyday sense, uh, type is important because you will see drives come through. But with extroverted intuition, to go back to the ENFP example, yeah, of course, their instincts are for gratification, frankly, very often with, with some ENFPs are delivered through extroverted intuition. But again, it's only the delivery system and it's mm. not the instinct of itself. Mm. You, could, you could look at that in the same way as you could say an archetypal image is not the archetype in itself. Yeah. Well, extroverted intuition is not the instinct that it delivers in and of itself. It is merely the delivery system. Yeah, well, I bring up type because you were saying about going outside. Maybe this is me being a caged animal, and it might be. But I have no desire normally to go, out, to go outside. <laughs> there is one behind you. There is actually a brand new little, little hamster. In fact, that's, that's a good question. So um, I would have an instinct instead to, um, rather than go outside, to go outside of my mind. Not in kind of like, yeah. you know, getting, getting high type of, type of way, but it would yeah. be more of an inner exploration type thing. If, if, if you take Jane, for example, and you said you can no longer, you can no longer care for something, you can no longer have. You can no longer use your extroverted feeling. Is yes. that coming in at kind of like an, an instinctual level? So, so the instinct. If, if your positive life force, if if your positive creativity is your is the, is the the libido that needs to come out of you, then it's like, does the individual type 
manifest in terms of how that should come out, right? So if, if you say like, put me in a job, which was say, for example, and I've done this before, put me in a mm-hmm. retail job. I'm mm. like a caged animal and I can't, and I yeah. won't do it. And my psyche will like yeah. shut down. And I mean, that yeah. colloquially, that's, it's like, I will not do it. For you. That doesn't have health for you, does it? It doesn't have meaning for you personally. Yes. And, and, and so if you're in a, if you're in an environment like that, you become instinct injured very quickly. Yes. So, so this goes back to the whole handmade life type, type of it idea. Is, where it's like, you can't just cookie cutter everyone yeah. down to the same level because we will have individual differences yes. and it's like if, if i was to say jane you can't bring the hamster home yes because even though it's going to be stuck in the shop and he's going to be lonely and he's going to perish by himself you can't <laughs> her inside probably her caring instincts will be like you know not particularly very happy although maybe i should put my foot down every so often i don't mind the hamster he's, he's well, what, all right what, 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 but... if, if i can ask because i don't know the answer to the question what would the natural habitat of a hamster be well, this is a this was born and bred in captivity. I don't know where hamsters come mm-hmm. in, in in the wild, but he'd be living in a big cage and he'd be doing his snuffles and his running around and playing yeah. with hay and all other kinds of things. Yeah, well, well, we assume that that's what's good for the hamster, don't we? Yeah, I, I would have absolutely no idea, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't, you know, wild hamsters. If anyone knows in the comments section, that'd be interesting to sort of let us know, I guess. <laughs> the ones that we had that, that, uh, that fought to the death and one was yes. virtually decapitated yes. were Siberian ones, which I, which I believe... Uh, are notorious for being aggressive right. and that you can't put two males in the same cage well uh, our kids decided <laughs> that's, that's to... this one yeah we can only have one and it's only a man unless they fight to the death yes yeah yeah so yeah, yeah so those instincts are still there they are. and to destroy you know to, to fight between rival males mm. well, why would they do that you know mm. why, there's no females to compete for but in in the cage where there's only two uh, yes. males but there's all the other instincts that all summate up to the, the same thing and when you think about it, um, mythic narratives, uh, which are archetypes, they're there to, to teach us how to handle instincts properly. That's it. That's all the four. If you boil it down, mm-hmm. anything else is an ego fiction, which distracts it. Well, it's window dressing. Really, it's window isn't dressing. It? Yeah. So it, it kind of distracts you from your instincts and it distracts you from the fulfillment of health by a displacement into a myth, an artifactual uh, myth. Mm. That's not to say that that's not helpful, but I think no, no, you just, helpful, you just yeah, have to yeah. be able to make that discrimination, yes, don't you? Yes, you, you, you do. Yeah, I, I am a bit, a bit hardcore on this deliberately because the, the, the tendency to displace into fantasy, yes. uh, not just now, mm. but anyway, mm. uh, it, it has been ramped up massively uh, during the information age. And yeah. you know, we, we've lived long enough to know what it was like without that. Before, yeah. Whereas a, a lot of people now have grown up with it and don't know any difference. Yeah. So they're living in that sort of uh, cross-modal zone between the realities of biological instinct and fantasy. Yes. But they're edging more both, towards... Both need to be met. Both, yeah, but it's healthy. But, but, to, but yeah. you're forced to emphasise this because otherwise it would go unnoticed. It would, it would, it, would just be overlooked. It, it would go unnoticed. Yeah. And the thing is that when you, you, you meet people who are suffering, that they are suffering fundamentally <laughs> from damage to instincts yes. and, and adaptation to to that and, and to lifespan developments and individuation mm. in that genomic sense um they're not suffering from a lack of having availability for fantasy and displacements there's too much of it yeah, yeah i was thinking of the um the early greek myths the the, the homeric greats when you were saying about instinct because there is a lot of uh there is a lot of archetypal reductionism and it comes to be like well 
Um, Odysseus is just after unification with his inner anima, and there's all this blah 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 blah. If you look at the story of the, of the Odyssey, it's like it is pure instinct. Really, yes. really, really thinking about it, it's like uh, it's, it's her name's Penelope, isn't it? She's she's doing her stuff, and then all the men are basically being like, "I want to breed with you now." And then, yeah. then, then it takes Odysseus to come along and be like, no, you're not. And then they kill a whole bunch of them as well. Yeah. And be like, my woman. Yeah. It's like, well, if, it, if I can just add to that, forgive me for sort of being so blunt about it, but having pets for women usually is a preparation for having children. Definitely, 100%. You, you, just, you just see it over and over. And, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that because I've done it myself. But yeah. that is what it is. Yes. That's where it all starts, James. I warn you now. <laughs> well, no, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely know. It's when, uh, it's when Jane comes home with like clothes for Flynn. So I got him a new coat yes. today, and I'm like, why? He's a dog. Why does he need? Like, yeah. For God's sake. Because, because he does, James. That's exactly the answer, yeah. I guess. Because well, well, he has to. Then he has to. Can you please transfer <laughs> me X amount of money because Flynn needs this nice hat? And it's like, you know, yeah. he bloody doesn't need the nice hat. <laughs> yeah. But it is all preparation, isn't it? It is all preparation for that, ultimately. Yeah. 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 So, so to, to make a meaningful life, you do have to satisfy instincts, but get beyond them. Yes. If you try to get beyond them without satisfying them, there's a major, major neurosis immediately. And it's what I would call an individuation neurosis. And, and I think is, is the general class of neuroses from which all of us emerge is the individuation neurosis, the separation of instincts from the higher order uh, aspects of uh, personal developments. And this goes back to, I presumably, right the way back to Freud. I don't know if he was originally the one who said it, but like, neurosis is the price you pay for civilization, basically. And it's, yeah, uh, you're, you're yeah. basically just put it in more um, Jungian nomenclature, essentially, yeah. to be like, this is why it's so important, because of the lifespan yeah. release, essentially. Yeah. Yes. I, I think with, with Freud, he's, he's um, much misunderstood and much maligned. Um, mm. I really, really admire his courage starting out with, mm. with Josef Breuer. Um, they did incredible work against incredible inertia within the culture within which they flourished. And they yes. had immense, immense courage mm. uh, to go places that no one had gone before in that way. There were precursors to them. The early hypnotists and even the mesmerists were, were exploring uncharted territory in a completely new way. And yes, Carl Jung goes on about Carl Gustav Karos and Edward von Hartmann and others who were pioneers of the notion philosophically of the unconscious. But those guys really went after it. They went after it in themselves and in others. And they did it with a view to healing people who were suffering. Mm. And in, in so doing, they, they opened themselves up to everything that was... Uh, <laughs> so a massive, massive admiration. Uh, for, for the early pioneers they are real heroes more so than a lot of contemporary would-be heroes of the psyche that the, those guys they, they plowed the furrow within which we can seed our own development and, and, and we would do well to remember that definitely definitely yes, we would we need to be careful too of people in the culture who are instinct injured themselves, who haven't healed themselves, who yeah. want to have a better expression, but nonetheless are, you know, out there trying to heal other people. It's some, something to be careful of, isn't it? Yeah, like Young said, open wounds cross infect. And uh, if somebody has a, a wound to an instinct, and then, you know, it, it could be that they have, for example, uh, mm. I, I use the example of maternal because we, we, we yeah. were illustrating that before a therapist of whatever theoretical orientation has a, a wound with respect to that, 
then meets uh, women who have issues over be becoming a mother, whoa, and it's not been properly dealt with, then there's two wounds and they're likely to likely to sorry, <laughs> likely to cross infect. And uh, Paul and I have both met re fairly recently. I won't identify as a, a woman who had who was a therapist and who had a very peculiar attitude towards uh, children. Oh yes, and on the the sexualizing of children. And this woman had no children of her own, but she had a mission to go out and uh, encourage children to be prematurely sexualized. And she was using uh, her therapeutic approach as a vehicle for that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and she was looking for validation from other therapists from different schools. <clears throat> I honestly believe so she could conceal that mm -hmm. within the camouflage of respectability from other people. Yeah. So in effect, she was going to deliver a perversion. And this had to do with um, issues of her own instincts that had been damaged or were being expressed in a malignant way. Uh, and then she wanted to occupy a cultural system, the psychotherapy profession, at least a portion of it, yes. in the same manner that a virus would occupy a cell. And then the immune system wouldn't realize that this was malignant and it would get away with it. Yes. So that, that kind of thing does go on. And uh, yeah, we, we, we do have to be yeah. really, really careful. Uh, and, and when you're training therapists as well, you will see that, that the fundamental issues have to do with the individuation neurosis, as they do for us all. You know, uh, ha have we come to terms of instinct? And are we individuating to our potential, which has to sit on an instinctive base if it doesn't? there are going to be problems. And one of those problems is the projection of fantasy into the uh, grand excuse that it's an archetype. You know, be careful. I don't want to get uh, anybody into trouble, but um, in, some, in terms of stuff like that, it's something I've noticed at, at uh, yeah, universities and universities don't like me very much because I actually speak what my mind tells me to speak. Mm. But um, there, is, there is this sort of overlap between sort of philosophy and the more psychology-based stuff. I've chatted to loads and loads and loads of people. It was, it was usually in the pub, because I was at university. And it was like, women, for example, most of them at that point would be like, I never want children. And that yes. never struck me as something right. Maybe because I've always been grounded in biology, and it's like, yes. so if a, if, a, if a female wolf or something comes up to me and goes, you know, in wolf language, I don't want to have children. It's like, mm -hmm. something's wrong with you. And I'm not saying something's wrong with the women. That is something I have to I have to stress. It is not a value judgment, but it mm. is a a misdirected instinct for whatever reason. And it can happen, mm. I would guess, on an individual level, and that's okay. But when you get groupthink essentially coming in, and it's justified yeah. under philosophy, and it's justified mm. under philosophy under an admin banner, then you enter yes. something incredibly dangerous. Because yeah. oh. like, yeah. when when, when yeah. I've, I've tried, for example, to be like, this is the way you go towards health. For whatever reason it's like health doesn't matter health is a culturally defined construct and it's like there's there's a frustration there but at the bottom of it it's not the philosophical layer it's like people speaking an autobiography about their own frustrated instincts would that be sort of a, a correct way to summarize it well I'd, um, yeah I, I agree with you and i think it's very important to, to say that in individual cases the general does not apply it doesn't it really. just can't can it it just can't i mean some people don't want children and that's their business end of and there's no point uh you know uh, applying any kind of collective value to that whether it's biological or, or socioculturally based uh, and certainly not personally or psychologically based but but going back to the, the general 
when there is a biological imperative to reproduce and that we're all under that instinctive pressure mm. and it's how we come to terms with that so for an individuation neurosis for example i would regard it as perfectly reasonable for somebody to say i am making a conscious rational decision that i do not want children yes. and that's absolutely fine but it has to be that but, it, but, it, but it's got to be yeah. that if if they're just in a state of neurosis because they are completely muscly split and are suffering yeah. and they don't want to suffer anymore, then they have to come to some kind of conclusion. And that conclusion might be that they don't want children. Uh, and that's absolutely fine. But to go back to my earlier example, if you have somebody who, who has a uh, warped uh, sexual uh, drive in the direction of children and is then trying to construct a means of delivering that through a camouflaged sociocultural system, yeah then that is pure evil, I'm afraid, because yeah. uh, the children themselves will be the victims yeah. of a predator. Uh, and the predatory instincts will, will, will be there too. Um, as I said earlier, about, uh, an earlier podcast about, you know, if you know where somebody's libido is broadly, yes. you will know um, everything about them. Yeah. Now you take a paedophile, for example. Paedophiles, I'll use an analogy. If you want to catch a lion, yeah? Go and stand with a zebra. They'll soon turn up. <laughs> Plenty of them. Yeah. If, if, you, if you want to catch uh, a, a paedophile, they will be wherever children are. Yeah. Wherever they are. Yeah. Access to children is everything to them. Yeah. Um, their libido is invested in them, not just sexually, but in terms of interest, motivation. Uh, they're interested in children's games, in children's minds, in children's television programs. You know, all of that. And, and in a Pied Piper way, whatever children can be uh, used to, to, to pull them away from any kind of protective situation, uh, whether it's parental or, or, or whatever. So that is definitely uh, a perversion. In my book, I'm afraid that's something that I'm absolutely immutable on and I can't change that. Yeah. And that's probably for instinctive reasons because you know, children biologically are the future of the species and they are so vulnerable. So my own instincts are mobilized and protectively towards them. Um, so I find it very, very difficult to have any kind of humanistic concern for predators, you know, child predators. Yeah. So, and they can be men yeah. and women. And they can be men and women. And they, Which is important. Uh, and they say. often are women, you yes. know, and they, they get away with it a lot more. They do. Because it's less obvious, uh, it's less obvious and they, they can slip in under the radar, which is why I mentioned that one earlier. Uh, a woman who, who had no children, uh, but wanted access to them in order to sexualize them, mm. which is a form of, um, if you like, long-term grooming, because as those children get older, they will replicate that influence, you know, and that makes children as a as a, a sort of broad character mm. uh, category available for predation in the future. It's rather like a squirrel storing nuts. Yeah, horrible, isn't it? But again, to, to come back to the idea, I'm thinking um, mothers and daughters rather than any other relationship. Mm. If, if, like I say, if mothers don't, for example, teach their daughters and their sons, I guess, to be aware that these things are out there in the environment mm. and to trust their own instinct on mm. things, then mm. you, you're creating a whole new generation of people who are instinct injured. Yeah. And, and on it, it just gets replicated, on it goes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, breastfeeding, right? I'm not going to pick on women over this, but I'm mm. going to highlight some issues that, that can arise over that. Um, failure to wean a child from the mother is a problem. 
failure to for a, for a mother to wean herself from the child is also a problem yeah. and uh, both of those things can exist simultaneously and can cause terrific damage and this has been known for at least 130 140 years it's been recognized within deaf psychology and there are whole schools of deaf psychology that are based on it so that, that's just an example uh, of something which uh, can appear to be right can appear to be instinctive and it can appear to be natural and is but can nevertheless be diverted for other purposes and can have a negative outcome mm. so this is why nuance is very very important and why the, the context for a specific case is always important so, you know, obviously most mothers the breastfeed do so effectively and efficiently and there's no problem but there are there are instances where that is not the case and there are other things going on um, and if you work with people who suffer uh, you see this this psychopathology and this psychosocial pathology and instinctive pathology at work and it, it's it's distressing and you're sorry go on. sorry Steve no you I'm just um it's it's not breastfeeding per se but I'm thinking about the guy that you worked with many many years oh, yeah, ago yeah. whose mother forced him to sleep with her yeah 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 I mean that was absolutely yeah. I mean, even now it's yeah. distressing it is to it, think and talk yeah, about yeah, isn't it yeah it, it is it's not it's it, 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 I don't want to trivialize the poor no, guy's no, experience of not. but oddly enough since then we've, we've met a few who, who uh, a few young men mm. Uh, who are still in that in that situation and the whole i say psychosexual development yes. it's more than that because it has to do with, with the development of, a, of someone's identity in such a fundamental sense um this to not be separated from the mother and then to be forced to have sex with the mother and to interact sexually with the mother as an extension of in this case of breastfeeding and then it went all the way up to adult penetrative sex uh, and maintaining and controlling that man in that state, that is a form of evil. And right. you can see where the idea of the, the so-called archetype of the devouring mother comes from. That's not all mothers, but it does happen. Mm. It does happen. Uh, and if you work as a therapist, you, you, you have to... You'll meet to, it. You'll meet it. And you have to come to some kind of understanding about this if you're going to help people. And of course, the reverse is true. You, you get the other side of the incest where it, it's father to daughter, and then you get uh, same-sex incest. You, uh, you get all sorts. You really do. And at bottom, this is a disturbance of instinct. Mm. Yes. So, so that that that, that is flat out lying in, in the sand. That is a disturbance of instinct. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It, it must yes. be. What, what else could it be? Because you know, Freud was right. There is an incest taboo. And that's instinctive, although some cultures will modify and ameliorate that to some extent and, and allow it to some extent. It is very, very rare. Most cultures and most people have a natural revulsion. And that natural revulsion is based on the genome and it's based on instinct. Mm. And then you get um, the Oedipus complex, which is a myth, if you like, mm. um, reflected back. So, so you have this existing at the level of the genome. You have it at the level of instincts. You have it at the, the level of the complex, the Oedipus <laughs> complex. Then you have its correlation culturally. So the same thing exists at all these levels simultaneously. Everything does, by the way, because none of these levels functions on its own. And that's why it's very, very important to understand when we talk about archetypes, for example, they're not just biology. They're not just psychology. They're also sociocultural and they're all three mm. simultaneously. Mm. And it's how they interact. Uh, and that's where people will learn things when they understand the nuance of the interaction. 
Yeah, very, very important. And this is why, um, this is why I tried to try to stress it earlier about um, biology versus philosophy. And use philosophy incredibly loosely yeah. because you have to go back to biology. Because if you don't, you can make a rational case for anything you want. And the, and, and and the danger with that, of course, is if somebody is convinced of it themselves because of their own misaligned instincts. Yeah, that that, that that that'd be the thing. And it's like you can't argue. You know, say so, so for example, that 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 woman who you knew who wanted to essentially sexualize young children they could probably yeah. make a good rational argument for that which is a yeah, terrifying she, thing because people do it all the time she tried yeah. it on and uh, you know as soon as we realized that that's why she wanted to associate not just with us but with a group of other therapists um she was trying to form this sort of you know she was going to be verified by us collectively um well that was the end of it mm. yeah. You know? yeah it had to be yeah good 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 yeah, and that would be your instincts coming out to, to oh, stop definitely. that. Oh, definitely, yeah. yes. Yeah. And if you ignore instincts <laughs> completely, at your peril, you can philosophise all you like. They yes. will destroy you. Mm. Yes, I like that. I like that. And that's probably a good place to leave off, unless there was anything else in particular you'd like to say on this subject, because I've got to bounce in about 20 minutes' time. No, I think that pretty yeah. much says it all, yeah. doesn't it? Sweet. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. Wonderful, in which case, thank, thank you, you, both of you. Yeah. And thank you, of course, to, uh, to, uh, to everybody watching this. Of course, as always, if you'd like a free copy of the Shadow Integration Manual, link in the description down below. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon to gain access to a whole suite of different benefits, then we'd really appreciate it if you go check that out too. But until next time, everybody, thank you. See you again. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Cheers. Blessings.